Hey guys, I'm Trent Guillory. My name is Liam Craver. And this is the FUBAR Podcast. Today we have with us a special guest, Benjamin Ritchie. I'll let him introduce himself here. How's it going, guys? I'm friends of Liam and Trent, and they invited me on this podcast. I'm glad to be here. That's right. Yeah, so today, actually, we uh, went ahead, like we always do, uh, all two episodes so far. We've got <laughs> two different topics. Uh, first one was chosen by Ben, so if you want to go and just we'll jump right in, you can introduce us to what you want to talk about. Well, I was coming on to talk about the revival and retro gaming, and I think Liam has brought up a good topic as well, talking about the emulation and the... Um, Hum- is it humane to not, emulate? Not humane, ethical, but <laughs> ethical. yes, not animals. Humane Thank in God. the uh, technology world to emulate these games. Is it doing them justice or is it doing quite the opposite? The reason I brought this up is because I'm actually making a console that does emulate games. And uh, I've held a long time belief that if you are able to emulate a game... Uh, you should be able to as long as you cannot actually go and purchase the game legally that will then support the developer. So if you're able to actually buy the game through like eBay or something, I don't even really consider that still being able to buy the game because it's not supporting the developer anymore. You're just buying it secondhand. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think my opinion on games is if the company themselves is not actively uh, making an effort to put out these games and keep up the hardware needed uh, to support these games and if you buy something like uh, going back to the NES they have multi-game cartridges with hundreds of games on them and I think that's one uh, kind of an example which I can't really say much about because uh the companies themselves have not been making an effort they've moved on and people there's definitely a demand for these kind of games so i think it's perfectly okay for i guess piracy in this case if i uh am allowed to use that word here yeah actually i think if if you use piracy ever you're just automatically banned like that's just illegal the word piracy is just if you use that word it's got to be illegal yeah no i mean i feel like I'm just going to play devil's advocate. I feel like there might be value to kind of that ongoing um, trade of old games. I mean, it adds, I, I see it adding value to a company when you see like, let's say Nintendo, they have so many classics now mm-hmm. that are just like in these old game stores. It, like we value going to these game stores and like kind of looking back and saying, oh wow, those games are so cool. I remember that. But if we were com- to completely just give way to emulation, I mean, this is like, this might be like a fallacy, like assuming that it took yeah. off and like people did that mostly, you might see that trade go away. And, um, I don't know that there might be I mean, downsides to that. I would argue that if enough people are emulating it, that that's becoming more mainstream, then that means that people are still looking towards the game memorably or uh, favorably rather. So I would almost argue that it kind of still serves the same purpose, even if it's not exactly the same form because you're not trading anymore, but like if enough, because if it makes it more accessible to people, then it's almost like similar kind of, I do understand what you mean though. I kind of get that. Yeah. Well, I think here in the last seven or eight years, I've, we've definitely seen a revival in these kind of retro games. And I think what it is, it's the nostalgia that's coming back. But for some younger people, 
they don't really have nostalgia. For instance, the um, NES, they released the NES Classic in 2016, and I I was too old. I was too um, young, I'm sorry, to remember the NES. I played some NES games, but I didn't, per se, grow up with the NES. So I think them bringing back the NES Classic is really introducing the old games, um, I guess the roots, you may say, of video games today. Um, back to the current video game generation. Yeah, I. so it's really interesting that all that's actually happening because um, we were talking about this with another friend of ours uh, just yesterday, and he was saying that there's like different sort of categories that people fall into, and one of them is definitely that sort of rose-tinted, hey, I remember this really favorably, like I want to play it again. But I would argue that there's another one where these people are finally becoming parents. So they're actually wanting to share it with their kids specifically. Yeah. So that's interesting because that wasn't like a thing ever because there was no generation that had enough games that were like popular enough that they actually could then share it with their kids. Yeah. I think the largest market has been what you said, those rose tinted glasses. Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. Oh yeah. Just the general nostalgia factor. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't think that whole timing was on accident either. No, yeah. Uh, obviously, these this generation is you know, mature and growing up, and I think a lot of companies saw that. Well, Nintendo, of course, with their new console, um, saw that opportunity to take advantage of. Well, not take advantage, but, you know, use the opportunity. Um, but you're right. I guess these, um, these younger generations don't have that nostalgia. So were you saying that, like, emulation is, like, kind of their entryway into it? Well, I know Nintendo has been using, with these classic consoles, is emulation. I mean, it's pretty much a Raspberry Pi. Yeah, yeah like, all it literally is. Literally almost. And, and in fact, actually, the two consoles, the SNES and the NES, are the exact same besides one difference, and it's the RAM. Yeah. Do they you increase watch, the RAM. You watch Ben Heck? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, that's what I saw on there. Yeah, when they cracked open. Yeah. And uh, that's what, you know, and I think if they do come out with a, uh, you know, 64 classic, then that's going to be the same thing except with, you know, more RAM. I was about to say, the 64, the problem with that one, though, and this is why a lot of people think that it's not going to probably come out, actually, is they don't own, uh, at least fully, as far as I know, the architecture yeah. to the chip, right? Is that my understanding I'm not. I'm not sure, but I know... The Super SFX chip, by the way, is what we're talking about specifically. Well, I know with the um, N64, that, those years were when Nintendo we're letting a lot more third-party companies yeah. coming in and making games for them. So you had a whole lot of Rare making games for yeah. them. So I think their biggest problem is going to be getting the well, rights yeah, to the licenses games. to the game. I, yeah. Oh, wait, that's right. I'm actually, to correct myself, I am wrong. They own enough, because that was a joint effort between two different, I forgot what the other group was to make the SFX chip, but Nintendo actually claimed ownership of it because they got enough stock that they were able to like pretty oh. much take it over. I forgot about that. So that's not an issue anymore because a lot of people thought it was. Uh, but you are right. Like Rare, all of the like Banjo and Kazooie games, like no. Oh, yeah. None of those yeah. would fly. GoldenEye. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. And then even uh, Perfect Dark and like all those other ones, um, it's all owned by Microsoft now because Rare was bought out. Yeah, so going back to the uh, ethical um, emulation topic uh i think it really depends on what people are trying to do with the games you have people writing new games for instance uh supposedly this uh 
later on this year, they're going to have a Commodore 64 Mini, which is yeah. going to be, you know, I think they're just piggybacking off the Nintendo Classic ideas. And it's a Commodore 64 with 64 games preloaded on it. <laughs> but that's one of those consoles that I didn't grow up with, but I'd be interested to see... Uh, you know, how they used it. But also, you have people, going back to uh, what I was saying, writing new games for these systems. Um, one that comes to mind is one has been the most recent success is David Murray with his Planet X2. Yeah. And um, David Murray is, uh, for anybody listening, is better known as the 8-bit guy if you ever subscribed or any watched to, uh, his videos on YouTube. There's a lot of music stuff specifically, but yeah. also does coding stuff. Yeah. But he just wrote a real-time strategy game, okay? Real-time strategy game for the Commodore 64. Now, understand, that's on 64, well, actually a little bit less than 64 kilobytes of RAM. So for him to do that, if he was to do that in emulation, that would have been super easy for him. But because he was so limited and he did it on an old Commodore 64, there was a much more of a challenge that faced him with that yeah i mean uh it's interesting because uh it kind of also ties into uh the fact that uh, even though typically a lot of people think like that was much i mean it was it was much harder time to get into coding because uh you have more limitations and it there's less documentation it's less like uh publicly available knowledge but at the same time I would almost argue that because of that, it actually made it slightly sim uh, simpler because you uh, have a set amount of tools to deal with rather than like now, whereas you have like all these libraries and you have to worry about conflicts and it's all this It's an crap. overload too. Yeah. You don't know where to start. New yeah. programmers don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. So it's actually really interesting because I would like personally, I think that uh, it'd be really, really cool to see this like Commodore 64. Like you said, it was a console. Well, I mean, it was a computer too. And obviously, and so the uh, really interesting thing to me is to make like something like that, but like for coders and like, that was kind of like its goal is like, hey, you can code these games using BASIC or whatever. Well, see, that's what I'm hoping they implement. Now, I haven't looked into this <clears throat> uh, 64, the C64 Mini. I don't think it's licensed by Commodore or whoever owns I Commodore. Say, I don't now. even know who owns it at this point. Yeah, yeah because um, they there's no mention of the Commodore name anywhere on their website. But anyway, that I could find. But anyway, I'm curious to see if the computer can boot up to basic or, you know, yeah. some sort of emulation to basic because I love the biggest part of that computer was that you can get, you know, they had magazines with simple, like a hey yeah. man, yeah, you yeah. know, written in the back that you could just write out in basic. So I love to see that on that computer, but they hadn't said much besides the 64 games preloaded. I also it. just, you just actually remind me that they're releasing that Atari, Atari thing too. What's that? You what? know about that? Yeah. No, I guess so um, it's called the Atari box, I think. I don't remember the exact name. It's changed over the last year or two. But uh, someone actually bought up the name for Atari and are pretty much using it to... I don't actually even know if it's... I barely know anything about it. Like, I know. I've seen but, a lot of those, you know, I'm, like at Walmart, those Atari flashbacks with the Atari name and it looks just like the 2600. Yeah. But what what is this? Is this, this different from the flashbacks? I don't... The problem is I, I don't know enough about it that I think I can really justify saying much more, but because I was hoping that you would actually know more. <laughs> well, um, something. Well, I do have an opinion of the flashbacks. Yeah. Because. They, oh wait. Uh, 
before that, just real quick. So what's your opinion of the one, not the, I know the flashback similar, but uh, specifically about the one that can play like all like the Genesis and the Nintendo 64, you know what I'm talking about? I, you know, I haven't had much experience with yeah. that one. It's kind of more, I, I think if, if the one that, you're talking about it's kind of the one that you see in the mall kiosk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I know, I do. You want you're talking about the ones that take the cartridges. Yeah, the physical. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Now some of those are really um, good, and I think is a great alternative because some of them solves the hardware it's like problems. The retro something. Re- yeah. Retron six. Or something. I, yeah, I don't remember. But I think a couple of them actually. Yeah. But um, I like them. I like some of them, I should say, because they solve some of the hardware problems in that. When you get an old N64 or something, uh, one thing is going to cost you a bit more, but also you have to worry about if the pins are bent and if you have to replace, because I know yeah. you always have to place, replace the cartridge uh, pins, if you know what I'm talking yeah, yeah. about inside, uh, you know, the little bread box there. But uh, going back to that flashback. Yeah, sorry. Um, uh, so my opinion of that is that they have, I think, maybe four or five generations of the flashbacks. And I can't remember which one, but one, maybe even two of them ran the original Atari games code, which was so awesome because basically you can even hack that and put a little uh, cartridge port on it and you could just play any Atari game that you wanted. Yeah. So I think those were cool. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Did I you think. grow up with any of this? I'm just wondering now. Yeah, so you guys are talking about all this, and I'm I don't really know much about all this stuff. Yeah. Um, I grew up. Let's see. I mean, I had a Nintendo 64. That was really it. Okay. I did nothing. Nothing else. But I'm gonna wrap back around. And for clarification, um, there might be other people on my page not really aware. When I think emulation, I think people on their own emulating games that aren't meant to be. But it sounds like you guys are also including, so like Nintendo is officially yes. emulating their and, own And stuff. they've actually been doing that in the past. Like the Wii would actually emulate GameCube games. And likewise, the Wii U would emulate Wii games. There was no, the emulation is whenever you're using non, uh, like the hardware that it was not developed for to run it. Yes. That's any single time. And when emulation that. came out, I think the one, the company that comes to mind was Bleem in maybe the late 90s. It was actually a CD-ROM that you would put into your uh, computer, desktop desktop computer, and it would emulate um, PS1 games. <laughs> but it was so awesome, and um, Sony got, in, I think, two or three lawsuits involved with Bleem and finally um, shut them down. But it was awesome because it ran them better than the PS1 did. I mean, yeah, you'd expect that. Yeah, because there was no load times. And the uh, screen, uh, I should say the graphics were so much sharper. And it was, it was, there was just a couple of games that couldn't have been played on there. And so it was worth it. And pretty much came with all the games as well. But as you can imagine, Sony was pissed about this. So, of course, they had to get... Just it and, uh, <laughs> yeah, just putting it blankly. Um, so they had to get involved with a lawsuit and eventually shut them down. But there was Bleem, and I cannot remember the other one's name, but they also got in a lawsuit with them. But that's when emulation just started out. And, you know, it was asking the question we're asking right now, is it ethical? So, yeah, I would argue that, that would be a case where it's not. Because you could still buy that at and, the time. And that sounds very blatant. Like they I mean they knew what they were doing, right? Yeah. Is you're saying was Bleem like 
really like on the forefront? Was that one of the first cases of emulation? I don't know if it was um, the one of the first cases, but it was definitely one of the, if not more the public. first. Yes, yeah. to put a name to it, you know, and actually advertise. I'm 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 amazed just how bold a company can be that you would that you'd make a company. I mean, based it's on happened since. So, yeah. Oh yeah, it's happened well, since multiple know, times. And it and it was crazy because well, I don't think then they thought it was crazy because video game video games. I'm sorry, was in a state where you know what kind of laws protected these and they were yeah, really that's pushing true. That's like early 2000s uh, late 1990s that they actually started becoming more protected so yeah i think i'm losing context even like wh- when was the ps1 like what year would that even be i think the ps1 came out in 97 i want to say it, it came out earlier it came out in the late 90s for sure i want to say 97 or 98 um i can't tell you actually because I, I didn't own one that's the main reason yeah, um, I got one, but it was definitely later. Um, yeah, I was about that. to say because the, the I was a hundred percent Nintendo up until uh, I got my PS4. Actually, yeah, and <laughs> it was because because of the cartridges. I think Sony with the PS1 was the first. Um, what year was I it? Nineteen ninety four. Yeah. I was about to say I felt wow. like uh, ninety seven was, was a little bit late. Wow, I wouldn't have been able I, to. Come. Wow, I didn't know. I thought it was ninety five. So PS one, yeah. but PS one was so significant because it was the first disc based. Not I wouldn't say first disc based. I was but, about to say this. Yeah, <laughs> there's a few others. Yeah, but yeah, but it's the first one that became widely accepted, and you know, you being I, I was a Nintendo fan as well. All their piracy, um, you know, anti-piracy techniques were physical. You had the lockout chip in the NES. And if you look over in Japan, they had, they switched to these little floppy disks. I forget exactly what they called on the the Famicom. Um, But they had a physical shape to the cartridge that was patented that could only the machine read. Yeah. So that was their That was their local, or... uh, like to make sure that you could only run it on that one machine. So you couldn't run Famicom games on uh, Nintendo 60 or uh, SNES rather uh, back and forth. Like you, you couldn't run them on either ones because Famicom was, lo- was localized only for Japan. And, and you know why, right? I have no idea. Okay. The reason why is because at the time Nintendo uh, didn't want to be seen as like a, uh, a sort of a toy they wanted it to be more seen as like something like the Commodore 64 mm-hmm. obviously the Commodore 64 was kind of old at that point uh but still um well that when did it come out the Commodore 64 yeah. it was it was definitely uh dated by that yeah point. I was about by to that say. point you had the um I think it was just maybe con- even MS DOS was because the NES when did the NES come out um Oh, Maybe eighty five. We should probably know. Yeah, this we're sort gonna have stuff. to Google. All, we should start uh, researching this stuff before. <laughs> I know it all relative uh, to each other, but I, I can't I tell think, you the actual I date. I think it was eighty five. Uh, eighty two. Wow. Okay. We, we keep over. Oh wait, that's it the by, Commodore sixty four. Yeah. I was about to say. I, I thought by around nineties yeah. it was fifteen years. So that, that's about right. Okay. So uh, what was the NES release date on that? So the Commodore sixty four. Yeah, by. The time um, Nintendo was um, had their uh, Commodore was probably already 
coming out with the uh, 128. And this time, it was a time in history, well, almost just much like today. Um, every new computer probably had twice or three times as much RAM as the last generation of computers there. Yeah, because the, the growth was much greater. And, yeah, that was – well, so uh, we're getting a little bit off topic. I just realized um, – uh, to go back to the uh, previous thing about like the why is they want it to be more uh, like an actual computer. So that's why the Famicom had sort of the more colorful controller that it was kind of red uh, and gray and white. And whereas the one uh, <laughs> was in America, the it was this like kind of honestly gross looking uh, purple color and just gray. And it looked very more industrial uh, compared to the Famicom. Uh, okay. So, Trent, you're here to keep us on topic, yeah. so make sure we don't just ramble on. So uh, bring us bring us back home, Trent. Uh, well, I'll be honest. So this this rambling on, yeah. a lot of these, I, I can't even picture some of these like, that you're talking about. I don't even know about these consoles or like any of the games or any of the history. Well, um, so I'm just kind of like, I mean, lost. It's, it's interesting to hear about all the things. I'm very interested in like hearing about the, the hardware lockouts because I know I was about to say, the back, hardware back, is honestly the most interesting part to me. Right. Because back to emulation, I mean, we have this kind of stripping away from the hardware. I mean, sure, you're still running on hardware, but you, you're stripping away the essence of the game from what it was meant to be run on. And yeah. so it's, it's funny hearing about these physical lockouts because that's kind of irrelevant in a sense of emulation. You, that's a whole new age of well, trying to block people from ripping your game basically the other thing is actually there's almost like an inherent uh uh part of emulation that is already like you're at a disadvantage and like to use the ps3 for example it has such a bizarre hardware setup uh that like with the way that the cpu and everything worked doesn't it like almost look like a car underneath well uh, yeah yeah but uh but the cpu the way that it was it actually had several cpus that would work in tandem with each other and you could use so it wasn't like threading that's not how it worked uh which is bizarre because that's why i thought is that it was a cpu with multiple threads no it was actually um several cpus that would work together to actually accomplish like the game task and so it was really nice because it, it could run extremely like high-end games but the problem is it was incredibly hard to program for because that that's ridiculous it's not like you're just doing multi-threading again it was multiple cpus and so because of that to emulate multiple cpus at the same time um like that's weird <laughs> and so naturally uh people eventually were able to get around it but uh the first emulations that came out for ps3 were like really crummy and even still nintendo 64 has some issues on some games where the slowdown like because you don't have the specific like sfx chip um, you cannot do some of that mode seven stuff as efficiently as if you actually had the hardware. So it kind of is like a natural, like anti-piracy, anti-emulation thing is because the hardware was so specific, but the problem is that's no longer a thing. Like we were talking about the PS4 is literally right. just a computer at this point. Right now. Are you talking about like official emulation that like Sony has been doing? Or are you no, talking about people no. trying to emulate yeah. games? Well, really? so obviously Sony has like, uh, the PS1 classics and PS2 right. and you can, it, you can emulate on your console. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, obviously, they have their own thing. Uh, and so theirs is obviously going to be better because they actually understand the code and they, they wrote it. So that makes sense. But I'm also t talking about, like, more just third parties. Yeah, going back <clears throat> to the emulation, I'm always a 
biggest fan of when the hardware executes the original code. And so what I mean by that, I'm not a big fan of people writing retro games in emulators because when they come to they don't have to face any ram issues where they're running out of ram or anything like that because i mean they have all the ram they need and more in today's modern day computers so somebody like david murray who went back and coded a new game um on the commodore 64 that really draws me because he it's like they understood the time and he's living within those constraints. I don't know who it was. Uh, I think it was a composer who said, I am most free when I am limited. And I think it's so fascinating um, them finding, it's almost like a puzzle, almost like Tetris, to use a classic game reference, to fit everything they want in deciding what they don't really need to leave out of the game into these consoles and just coding them like they were coded. Um, I would make days. an argument actually about okay. that. That is, I completely understand where you're coming from because it makes sense if you think about it in terms of like, okay, so you, for example, are a metalsmith, right? Like that's a more like, obviously there's not that many people around anymore that do metalworking yeah. for like specific things, but they do exist. They still do exist. And um, because of that, there are some people that will use like grinders or, or whatever, like uh, electrical tools, but there are some people still that prefer to do it the older way and not even necessarily out of like a, oh, it's been done this way. So like it has to be done this way, but mm -hmm. it's more of like a, hey, um, let's try as a challenge. Like I want to challenge myself and this is an interesting way of doing it. And uh, maybe even like, oh, it was a tradition. My grandfather taught me how to do it. So that that's interesting to me because it's similar to that in a way of almost keeping like that knowledge set alive. And yeah. these like newer games because when you're programming like, it and you're inspiring our people to do it, then maybe they will also do it. So I understand. Yeah. The only I guess my biggest um reason I mean, it's not to say that I don't think it's right or anything like that. I'm just saying that um when I play a new game that has been coded on an emulator, it would mean so much more if I could load that game onto either a disc or a cartridge and with that code the uh, console the retro console could perform that game just as well as the computer does I guess that's what I'm getting at oh well, yeah there that, that's obviously so, preferable I would say yeah so any games you know that take up you know maybe you know hundreds of uh, kilobytes that can't be handled on you know old uh, Commodores or anything like that. I don't think, um, you know, it's fun to look back at that, but I don't think it's, um, it should be called a Commodore game at that point. Now, I'll be honest, I'm kind of getting lost with all the details here mm -hmm. because you guys are just more versed in this than I am and are more aware of the history. But sitting back listening, I've come up with a hypothetical. Okay. Uh, another situation I thought that where uh, basically a game being you know, out of publishing or not being sold anymore might hurt sales of current games or still be a problem. So I know one thing. So I remember, 
I had an iPhone. This was like early high school, man. Okay. And they came out with this Game Boy Advance emulator yeah. on the iPhone. And this was huge because, man, millions of people were downloading it and playing Pokemon on their phones. And that's, yeah. that's so accessible, right? And so let's say a new game comes out with Pokemon. I mean, it. I would argue that if everyone's spending their time, actually, you could probably argue both ways. If a lot say. of people are spending their time playing Pokemon... The old games, you might hurt sales, but actually, that might just be it might complex sales tactic. People. You have yeah. more people introduced to it, so it's hard to argue either way. And I think that's exactly <clears throat> um, what Nintendo has done with their classic consoles. Right before the Switch came out, they were like, hey, you know, we're Nintendo. Remember us from your childhood? And kind of stroked your nostalgia side a little bit. And then they were like, oh, here comes our new console, the Switch. You should buy this alongside. But also, I, I mean, I own both uh, classic consoles, and I love them because not only their looks are great, but also it really feels like I'm playing um, the old games, but they are emulated, like you're saying. So, But, you know, just to go with your sh- showing, it could actually improve sales as well. Yeah, I guess getting to like the the value of playing a newer version of these old games, uh, you just mentioned that it's just as fun. I've kind of wondered about that because the great thing about nostalgia is that you, you pull out an old game or you find one in some old store, you dust off um, the dirt, <laughs> you dust it off and you plug in a cartridge and hope it works. And that's kind of a different feeling than going and getting a brand new one, I would argue. Yeah, yeah. Um I, I also just really could I um I kind of want to bring up the fact that we haven't talked about this yet and it's the fact that um I consider video games art a hundred percent there's some people that will disagree with that fact I disagree with you I'm, yeah I'm kidding yeah um, well, but I, I would agree yeah, yeah yeah so but the point is art okay we have stuff from Mozart we have uh, Da Vinci paintings all this other stuff mm. the thing about emulation is I consider it just a form of like just carrying it through the time periods because That's we're going true. to lose and we already have lost actually a lot of games. Um, and the problem is, is that if we don't emulate them, the hardware is eventually going to fail. And like, you, you don't have hardware for a painting. So well, yeah, like somebody yeah. would, you know, save a VHS tape to their um, external hard drive yeah. to keep, you know, so the VH t- when the VHS tape eventually, you know, craps out or something, yeah. you still have it on your hard drive. Yeah. And so like, I consider it just, like preservation i guess that's what i'm coming back that and is so a, that's a great point that's another argument for it is that without it we could be potentially and the thing is the, i would also argue that like the the mini consoles that nintendo's making yeah okay they've gotten the licensing to like was it the 32 games per system or something like that uh, i don't know but the point is that's nothing like that's not even like a one percent of the entire library um yeah it's some of the better ones but i really personally want all of the games to be whoa okay yes. all right every all of, single game. every single one because wait, wait say that one more time yeah all of the games i think that it's important that we save all the games because legitimately that sounds ridiculous i know but the point is you uh like for future uh game creators i think it's extremely important to be able to go back and actually look at some of these games even some of the bad ones uh and actually be able to play them and experience them to see where we've come much like oh you're a painter 
go study the greats. Okay. So you have to go study some of those older paintings. Point is if we don't have them, cause we don't emulate them, then that's a problem. Right. Well, so, you go study the greats because yeah. the greats have been preserved, yeah. but the, the crappy ones, like you're saying should be preserved. Those, you know, those slip away. I, I think, well, <clears throat> you know, you have to learn from people's success as well as learn from, from other failures, failures yeah, as yeah. well. You can't just learn from their success. You have to know what fails as well. But going back um, to what you were saying about, uh, again, I love the classic consoles. I love them because I could sit down. I don't have to blow into a cartridge or anything like that. But when you say study the greats, I think those should um, should be executing, which the classics don't. And I'm kind of you know shooting myself in the foot here. I think the codes and how they ran on that um, particular hardware and the problems these um, software developers had to solve is important to that as well. Not just the gameplay and um, you know the content well, of the games itself. I would agree, but the problem is that's idealistic that you could uh, have the hardware for that long. That's the issue is that uh, yeah. a lot of the original hardware now is not even made or unobtainable. It's not even new old stock. Like you yeah. literally cannot even get parts now for some of these older consoles, which yes, people are coming out with sort of like third party, like, oh, we've remade it. It might not be the exact um, like uh, IC that was used in the Commodore, but it's close enough. Yeah. And so there are those, but like legitimately there now are getting, to, we're getting to the point where you straight up cannot find the exact IC that was used integrated circuit, by the way, shoot. Yeah. I, anyway. Um, yeah. So the point is, um, yeah, I would agree. Like if we're in a museum, they should have the resources to actually maintain an older model of one of these systems yeah. that actually should be able to run the original code. I would agree with that. Yeah. But for your average consumer, they don't have the resources to do that. Right. At least again, I'm talking uh, like 20 years from now, because 20 years from now, exactly. 30 years from now, Commodore's literally, you're not going to be able to get any new parts. That's the problem, yeah. which sucks. Like that really does suck. Oh yeah. And, sure. uh, I feel like the easier way to, cause yes, you can make the argument. Well, okay. Well, we also need to be, uh, maintaining, uh, all these, older systems like that should also be a part of the um the process of like maintaining all this but the thing is i would argue it's way easier to just emulate and so yeah. that's what we're going to gravitate so, like, towards the only the easiest way i should say yeah. to for me to get a working commodore vic 20 um is that's to buy was... four broken commodore Vic yeah. 20s and then hope with those parts coming out of that those uh systems that i can <laughs> at least yeah. get one working um, so, and there are a couple of people, um, you know, making the parts. I know I'm trying yeah, to think no, of the I, exact name that makes the, um, cartridge slot for, um, old NES yeah. to solve that problem from when you're pushing in those, you know, pins eventually get bent and, you know, no longer reads your disc or you get that blinking red light of death or so to say on that NES. There are some people, but I know what you're saying. Those people aren't going to be around forever. Yeah. Um, Which is unfortunate. I'm exactly. not going to lie. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> so, so I see, definitely see both sides to it, but I do, you know, condone those who code in the original um, formats and on the original consoles themselves. So this, uh, this game, this guy's making in the original console. Yeah. 
I mean, I guess his his potential or his audience he's making this for is extremely limited, right? Well, I mean, yeah. like, exactly. like exactly what you just said, it's going to take a lot for you. If you wanted to get one, it'd take a lot of work for you to get that. But every, I mean, there's not going to be many people playing this game. Well, you right? could emulate it. Actually, oh no! Really you funny. can simulate it. Yeah, you, know, you could preserve the art just yeah. like that. Treat it just like an old game. Yeah, you just make it like you that. You could. Interesting. It'd be really interesting to see him emulate it himself and just allow anyone to play. The, I can guarantee he's going to release the code in there that would allow that. Yeah, I would hope so. So what makes this game? It's it's already out. I was about um, to say I thought it was. Yeah, yeah, it's already out. It's called Planet Planet X Two. Um, if I haven't mentioned that before. Because there's a Planet X-1. Yeah, there is a Planet X-1 for the Commodore VIC-20 that yeah. he's made. But this one um, is a little bit more refined. And he's come out with amazing packaging. So it matches the period so well, yeah. um, the packaging does. And it even comes with a cassette tape of the music. Because um, all the music that uh, his friend Anders Jensen um, has composed for it couldn't fit on there so if you want to turn the music off during the game and just have it run on your uh cassette deck like everyone nowadays has then you can um but yeah going back to what you were saying very limited audience uh they would not only have to have a commodore 64 <laughs> yeah. itself but they would also have to have a working commodore 64 disc because yeah. the game is on a floppy drive on a floppy disc as well, well that's the, that's the disc reader yeah, which, disc, which is also even drive. harder to like that. That's potentially yeah. even harder to find so, a working one. Um, but uh, despite all of that, he has had um, very good success. I believe he's already sold over 500 copies and it's been out for maybe a month or two months and a half, which is amazing uh, for, you know, something like you said, as niche as this. Yeah, Exactly. And um, I think mostly is people just amazed that he could do this because um I don't think there's any other real-time strategy guy, <laughs> real-time strategy game for this kind of system. Now I'm just curious about this game now. Yeah. Uh, the first one, did did he make this, or he's just like kind of a fan making a sequel? Uh, he did make both of them. There's yeah. no uh, sequels at all. The first one, he just kind of um, the first one, from my understanding, isn't really finished. It's kind of more of a project. Yeah. Um, he did code it on a Commodore VIC-20, but I will say he did use the uh, Super Expansion Pack. Um, I think that's what it's called um, for yeah. the cartridge port on the VIC-20 because, you know, five kilobytes of RAM are actually three and a half once the rest is used up by the system. Just to render the video alone takes uh, enough kilobytes that in uh, multicolor mode, like you basically will burn through all your RAM. Oh, exactly. And so, but... He was able to do this with the Commodore um, 64, but what I like about it, it loads all onto RAM, if if I'm saying that correctly, you know, from disk. So there's no loading time once you've yeah. finished the initial loading. You know, you don't take two steps and all of a sudden your Commodore is going to be, uh, you know, loading another screen <laughs> for you again or, you know, loading another tile. And he also coded um, a couple of programs to help him write the um the code as well uh such as um map draw and tile draw as well so he can kind of sprinkle um you know his uh designs on there as he wanted another interesting thing to come out of all this by the way i should mention is uh there was 
games that physically uh like there was no so obviously compression was being developed by standard computer scientists of the like uh like of the era that computers so like the commodore 64 people working on just standard commodore 64 not games were working on compression algorithms but the problem uh was is that typically for like text documents and stuff yeah you could compress it but like there was there was less of a need whereas a lot of compression algorithms um were coming out of the games industry because they were having to squeeze these immense like they're bigger and bigger games on these small small cartridges uh which is also really interesting and um it's weird that like a lot of people actually nintendo specifically had uh really really good compression algorithms because they were able to squeeze a ridiculously big games that should not have been able to be squeezed on these cartridges onto them with the music and everything included because that would sometimes take up almost 90 percent of the entire cartridge oh man yeah like a ridiculous amount right so, yeah so one of you guys mentioned the sega this- thing specifically it was you remember oh. that yeah this is the name in sonic of sega at the very beginning it was how much of the cartridge exactly it was an obscene amount like ridiculously yeah. large amount yeah, so it's crazy. Go ahead. Well, and that's what I love about cartridges is that, and that's why I believe Nintendo stuck to cartridges for so long, is because when the Sony PS1 came out, you had your disc, but you had it introduced longer loading times. But with the cartridges... Because you couldn't load everything into memory now. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Now, so, but with the cartridges and why I still love cartridges so much is because when a console doesn't have your hardware needs, you just stuff it into a cartridge. I mean, you know, as much as you could. But I'm saying like the Super FX chip on Star Fox on on the Super Nintendo, the Super Nintendo couldn't, um, you know, render polygons... Um, polygon graphics like that yeah. so they stuck in that chip and that's what made that game so popular that's just unbelievable um, yeah I was, sp- I was speaking with one of you uh, a while back it was about, about the this. GameCube thing the, yeah I don't know what well, I don't remember the, what exactly but the fact that they used uh, the cartridge to put more hardware yeah. into the system to run games that's just unbelievable because now that's not how things work at all <laughs> yeah. you, you just can't do that so. well uh, okay I, to comment on that first of all, I, I think we were talking about the the GameCube to like Nintendo 64 I, I forgot I, I think it was a GameCube Nintendo, or not GameCube geez the Game Boy to Nintendo 64 cartridge actually had the hardware the entire hardware for the Game Boy is that correct oh wait you're, or is you're, that the SNES one are you talking about the Super Game Boy that one that plugged into the Super yeah. Nintendo yeah yeah yeah, yeah I, I, I'm not sure about all the insides but I mean well, it must have had all. Yeah, the, um, I was about to say it literally had to because they were going to try to emulate it, but they couldn't. I, I do remember that. That's hilarious. They yeah, have, like it's an attachment, but it's the entire system. Yeah, just you plug it. Basically, without the screen battery. Right. Like, that was yeah. Right. And then similarly, the the reason why you said that that doesn't really happen anymore, uh, it also happened with the PS3, which again was, I mean, obviously that was a while ago, but not too long ago because uh, the PS3 had so many versions, and the first initial version was able to completely run any PS2 game because of the oh, fact dear. that there was no emulation. The right. PS2 games were actually... The PS1, all versions of the console can run PS1 games because that's emulated. But uh, the PS2 uh, 
actually was built into the PS3 originally because they had all the same chips and it was literally like they had it was basically like a tumor on the side of the PS3 <laughs> just built into the machine. Yeah. Yeah. And so the really original fat um PS3 it's literally what was, it's called. I mean not they didn't name it the fat one, yeah. but everyone else called Come it by that. the yeah. fat PS3. Yeah. <laughs> um but uh because of that it actually was able to run it but the problem was that because they had to build in pretty much a second console uh it made it immensely more expensive and so that's where you saw the death of the like that was the last hardware emulation done that was it like after the the original they had two versions of ps uh a three and ps2 and embed in it and then the third version of the ps3 did no longer had it they took it out it reduced the price massively and that was it that that was pretty much they actually they did one of them also emulates it. i think it was the third one emulated it and then by the fourth version they even got rid of that so it literally just ran ps1 games emulated and so it's really interesting because that really was that was a death and everyone talks about like oh well nintendo always has backwards compatibility but the thing was is uh, they've always done it with emulation since or hardware literally sticking the old hardware onto the new system. So, yeah. So if any of you uh, have just joined us or anything, we're talking about if um, emulating games is ethical on uh, yeah. on this podcast, this particular episode. Yeah, that's, well, that's at least where it began. We've kind of run a long way since then. Sounds like emulation has done a lot of good, though, after talking about this. Um, you guys, you know, it preserves games and hearing about, you know, it keeps old games alive. And, and these were, these games kind of inspired a lot of programmers even yeah. and admiring, like has been, been talking about admiring the skill that went into packing it all onto one cartridge, one, one disc. I guess right before, cause I, I think we're coming to a sort of end on this conversation, but I will mention that recently there have been a few cases where actually they're already developing, uh, emulators for the Wii U and they have them now for uh, like in the infancy for a few other more modern consoles because I would consider the Wii U still this generation kind of because uh, it, it came out technically with the PS4 and it's getting to the point where now they're able to actually buy new games like the Legend of Zelda, the new Legend of Zelda and actually run it on this emulator for the Wii U. And that really brings up a lot of questions because technically they are, some of them are claiming that they're buying the game and that they should have the right to then run it on the system, which is, yeah, like, again, that kind of falls under the category of, well, if you buy it, technically you can skirt my law, but you like, you also didn't buy the hardware. So, but the thing is their argument on the flip side would be that because the hardware itself runs it worse that they bought the game and they should be able to run on any hardware they want because it runs better. So I will say that while you say, yes, it has done a lot of good for previous games, more modern games, it's starting to really become a gray zone. And uh, I'm seeing the possibility of it becoming an actual pretty big problem, actually, within the next few years. Right. Yeah. It sounds like so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you bring up a new topic. Um. And you know, we we're starting to close the conversation, and you just completely yeah. ripped it open again. <laughs> I'm re- really glad you did that. No. <laughs> no but um. Uh. But yeah, that's an interesting point. We have focused a lot I on mean, the positives. Yeah. Well, the problem is we can't really talk about it that much because we don't know. This of is, course. This is really new. Like, of course. It's never been this quick that they've gone on it. So yeah. Right. Yeah. For sure. Well, 
it just kind of sounds like to me that they're approaching that whole bleem versus Sony yeah, exactly. lawsuit all over again. And it just goes to show you that we still, um, no matter really like free the games. Laws, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do like free games and free material, but no matter how um, how many laws we have right now, there's still this gray area when it comes to video games and copyrights within them. So you know, people are still looking at holes, um, to, you know, to loot to leap through, in this case. So uh, I think. You know, like you said, Liam, that we're um, approaching that again. Yeah, it's really going to be interesting. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, well, look, I, I, I feel <laughs> like I learned. Right. A lot. I feel like a lot went over my head in this. I feel like I learned a lot. I um, mean, if you're still listening, applaud you. This has been a long conversation. <laughs> I've, I've been thrown for a loop for sure, but I definitely learned a lot too. This, this is pretty fun. Maybe you'll look it up now. Yeah, maybe I'll look it up. I'm definitely Bleem is a very weird name. I'll definitely look that up. Yeah. Sweet. Well, good yeah. talk. Ben, glad you could join us. Yeah, it's been fun. I look forward if there's a next time. If there's a next time, like we said, this is, uh, well, we made a joke before. This is episode three of four. That's, yeah. That is a joke. We'll be going farther. But yeah, of course. It'd be really funny if we actually straight up like died after the four or something. Yeah, before, before that. So, so yeah, if you're if you're uh, if you're listening to this and it's like and you're on five, it, and you know we made no, it. No, if you're listening in March and uh, there's only one more episode, <laughs> I think I think we're dead. So. Yeah. Um. Anyway, hey, glad glad you joined us. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. I've definitely learned a lot. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Anyway, see you guys. Talk to you later. Bye bye. That was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs>